When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they're building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders, and they continued to build. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. The people came to Nehemiah to say the workers' strength was failing, and that their enemies were threatening them. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, Nehemiah split the work so half the people worked on the wall whilst the other half protected them. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us and they continue to build. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer, and they continued to build. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Well, great to see you, everybody. A very warm welcome to uh, Kingsgate and a very warm welcome to part three of our uh, sermon series, Living on Purpose, as we continue our look through the book of uh, Nehemiah and the story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem after they were destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar um, all those years ago. I've called this message today, Overcoming Opposition. And that's because the passage at which we arrive today, we see Nehemiah and the people, as we saw in the reading before, uh, we see them overcome those that are opposing them in order to achieve their purposes in God. Uh, a couple of Christmases ago, my, uh, my uh, boy Jack uh, got us one of his uh, Christmas presents, a Playmobil pirate ship. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these things, but they really are uh, pretty wonderful. They're very grand in scale, but very intricate in detail. And we set about, once the dust had settled and all presents were opened and everything, on uh, Christmas afternoon, um, we decided that our purpose for the afternoon would be to build this Playmobil pirate ship. And so we set about our purpose for that day. 
Uh, but as we did, we met with opposition. Uh, some of it was quite nice opposition. We just had temptation to play with some of the other presents and things like that. Uh, also, we had things like uh, my mother-in-law, Jack's uh, nan, bringing in lots of Christmas treats and things like that, which was uh, quite distracting. Uh, as well as that, we also had much more hostile opposition. Uh, Jack's little brother, my youngest boy, Isaac, uh, who kept coming in and trying to steal different parts of the pirate ship and holding them to ransom elsewhere and so on. Uh, but nevertheless, we overcame. It was quite easy with Isaac. All we had to do uh, was just get him to do some building with his Christmas presents with um, his mum. And, uh, and of course, it was easy with my mother-in-law uh, as well. After all, it was her house. So we, we just said to her, you know, keep the snacks coming, but keep the chit-chat to a minimum. And, uh, and she took that uh, very graciously. Uh, but what we did then was we overcame that opposition and we built our ship. And the uh, playing with the ship, at the end, having completed our purpose for that day, was all the sweeter, all the more joyful, and actually all the more glorious, just because we'd had to have uh, such a hard time uh, doing it. And do you know what? Just, with, uh, just as with uh, Playmobil pirate ships, so it is in our lives as well. When we have to overcome opposition to achieve the purposes that the Lord has for us, the rewards we receive are all the sweeter, the joy is all the greater, and there's all the more glory for God at the end of fulfilling those purposes. And so I want to encourage you today to see that the opposition that comes in your life, and as Margaret reminded us earlier, there will be opposition. Jesus said you will have trouble in this life. Uh, see that opposition not as something to be run away from, not as something to cower away from, but rather something to be overcome on the way to fulfilling our purposes and receiving those greater rewards and that glory for the Lord. It might be that the opposition you're facing is opposition to your general purpose in the Lord. You might remember we did the Whatever You Do series from Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it for the Lord. In other words, your daily Christian life, your, your walk with the Lord, your vocation, whatever you do at work. Maybe it's there that you're facing opposition. Or perhaps you're facing opposition in some more specific purpose that the Lord has given you. As Nehemiah refers to this as a, as a special project, it might be that this is, you're thinking of a, a purpose of a project that the Lord has laid on your heart. Or perhaps you're thinking even more specifically, as this is a rebuilding project, they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Perhaps at the moment you're facing opposition when trying to rebuild something. Perhaps you're trying to rebuild a relationship that's been destroyed. Maybe rebuilding your career after a setback. Or perhaps trying to rebuild your life after a family tragedy. Whatever it is, I want us to have a look at this uh, portion of scripture, this passage, this part of the story from the book of Nehemiah and see that if we can put into practice these tools, these principles that Nehemiah and the people of God put into practice, that we can overcome, that we can enjoy those rewards and that we can bring much glory to God. So we can look at three things that we can do to help us overcome. And the first one is this. Number one, overcome by seeking help from the Lord. See, as soon as we get into this passage of scripture, as soon as we start in chapter four, right away we see opposition come. It says this in verses one, uh, three and eight. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. And then verse 8, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. 
So we see Nehemiah and the people of God trying to achieve their purpose here of rebuilding the walls. And straight away, we see opposition come. And it comes in the form of criticism, of uh, belittling, of people stirring up trouble against them. And let's face it, in our lives, this is something that all of us face. Uh, it might be you're trying to uh, lead something, a special project that the Lord has laid on your heart. It might be just you keep finding the sin issue keeps coming up against you. It might be that you are um, in your daily vocation, in your career, coming up against people opposing you, criticizing you, belittling you. We've all faced it. And the first thing I want to say is this. As we can see from this story, this is clearly from Nehemiah, a project from God, a good work as he describes it in chapter 2. So just because you face this opposition doesn't mean this isn't from the Lord. That's the first thing to say. But the second thing I want you to consider is this. How do you react when people come against you like this? When people criticise, when they belittle you, when they ridicule you, when they stir up trouble against you? It can be very, very difficult to know how to react. I remember my um, uh, friend Darren at work, we often would sit together in our office and chat about some of our early negative experiences uh, of teaching. I'm a lecturer, as many of you will know, so is Darren, that's why we work together. Um, and we would chat about some of those early experiences, often the same one as blokes often do, just repeating the same stories over and over, but we seem to enjoy it. And Darren will often talk about an early experience he had where the class really took against him and it was a very, very difficult, but actually quite formative for him. He talked about how they were actually, and this was his expression, they were basically just taking the mick out of me. In other words, it wasn't uh, feedback from them. It wasn't they were frustrated because he wasn't doing things right. They were actually ridiculing him. And when he told me that, I knew exactly what he meant. Didn't just sympathise, I could empathise. Because I've been in that situation when you know you're being ridiculed. And it's so easy in that situation when you're just trying to go about your purpose, trying to go about doing your task, your project. It's so easy to just want to fight fire with fire, to get up and have a go back at them all, uh, you know, to ridicule them at the same time. But of course, if he did that, if I did that, if we did that in our jobs, what would happen? We would probably lose our jobs. At the same time, the answer isn't, if we're going to not fight fire with fire, the answer isn't just to be a doormat and just to swallow all the poison that people give to us. If that happens, all that happens is we lose our confidence and we get very, very bitter. So what is it that we're meant to do? We don't want to just spew out the first thing that comes into our head. We don't want to swallow all the poison. What we want to do is follow Nehemiah's example and we want to seek the Lord's help. He doesn't spew out. He doesn't swallow the poison. He seeks the Lord's help. We see this in verse nine, straight after, uh, sorry, verse four, straight after the first bit of ridicule has come. The very next line we read is Nehemiah seeking the Lord's help. He says, hear us our God. And he prays a pretty robust prayer. And then after verse eight, when the stirring up of trouble comes against the people of God. In verse nine, what's the next thing we read? It says this, but we prayed to our God. In other words, Nehemiah's first instinct is to seek the help of the Lord. Just a couple of mornings ago, um, I uh, went out for a walk. With, um, I'm on annual leave. Becky was uh, just doing some work. I went out for a walk with Jack and Isaac. And it was very nice. We're having a very pleasant time. But as often happens with my boys, it's a very pleasant time. And then all of a sudden it just springs into violence. When they were playing with a big stick and Isaac, my youngest, who's three, decided that he would hit Jack, my eldest, who is five, with this big stick. 
And then what happened afterwards was very predictable. Uh, Jack didn't like this, though he sort of had a bit of a smile on his face, but he definitely didn't like it, and he started to chase Isaac. And when he did, Isaac immediately came, and he clung to my leg, and he kind of spammed me around, kind of using me as a human shield as uh, Jack tried to get to him. What was he doing? Well, he was facing his opponent. He was facing opposition. And so instinctively, immediately, what did he do? He didn't wait around to see whether he could handle it himself. No, he immediately sought help from his father. He knew as his father that I'm more um, uh, larger than him, more powerful than him, and that I can solve the problem. And we need to be exactly the same. When we face opposition, when a problem comes up, when something starts to oppose us, our very first instinct ought to be to go to our Heavenly Father, who's even more uh, big and powerful than I am, if you can imagine that. See, very often, many of us face opposition and try and face it without the Lord. And what we do is we use prayer and seeking the Lord's help as a last resort. For Nehemiah, it was a first resort. And so the first thing I want to encourage you, if you're facing opposition and trying to achieve God's purposes in your life right now, the very first thing I want to encourage you to do is, number one, to overcome by seeking the Lord's help. Overcome by seeking help from the Lord. The second thing I want to encourage you to do from this passage is this. Number two, overcome by sticking together. Overcome by sticking together. See, many of us, when we face opposition, our instinct, even if it's very good in the first instance to go to the Lord, after that, it's to still keep it to ourselves and not share it with any of our friends or our family and just try and tackle things in our own. It might be that we're doing that just out of reserve. You know, perhaps we've got the kind of personality we don't like to bother people. It might even be an element of pride. We just want to try and tackle things by ourselves. But I believe if we're truly going to overcome, we need to involve other people. We need to stick together. Again, a little story from home. It was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife, Becky, went out to see uh, a friend of hers, socially distanced. I look forward to the day where we don't have to qualify uh, such things anymore. But she went out to see a friend of hers. And no kidding you, less than 30 seconds after she'd closed the door, it just went haywire in the house. When Becky and I were there together, the boys were just being calm and tranquil. Everything was absolutely fine. The moment she was gone, it just went berserk. Uh, Isaac did a wee on the floor, uh, followed shortly by both of them. Um, laughing like hyenas, getting totally hysterical, throwing toys all over the place. And it took me quite a bit of time and quite a lot of bribery uh, to calm them down and actually get them settled. What had happened? Well, when they faced their opponent together, mum and dad, then they knew that there was nothing really doing. But as soon as mum was gone, they immediately knew that they'd isolated the vulnerable party and so they started their attack. And just as it was in my house on that particular day, so it is in nature. If you've ever watched a David Attenborough uh, programme, you'll know this is often something that happens with animals when they're left on their own. Same in warfare and it's the same in spiritual warfare. When you keep things to yourself, when you're left on your own, that's when the enemy will often attack, will often pounce. It's when we stick together that we can overcome. And the whole of the book of Nehemiah really is about sticking together. It's about teamwork. And it's no different in this little passage here in the context of overcoming. And there are just three verses when I think we see wonderful principles here of how we can overcome by sticking together. We see this in chapter 4, verses 12, 13 and 14. And I believe if we can emulate what Nehemiah and the people of God do in this short few verses, then we can overcome by sticking together as well. And what we see here 
here, if we're going to emulate the people of God here, we can emulate that they are a people who are honest with each other, that they are a people who are protective of one another, and that they are a people who encourage one another. Firstly, then, we see that they are a people who are honest with one another. In Nehemiah verse uh, 4 and Uh, sorry, chapter 4 and verse 12 says this. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So they come and they're basically admitting that they're vulnerable, that they're scared, that they know the enemies, that their opponents are coming, that they're facing opposition and they want to tell an appropriate person, Nehemiah, all about it. In other words, they're being honest about their vulnerability. They're being honest about the fact that they need help. And can I say that there are some of you right now who I believe are facing opposition and you haven't told anybody about it yet. You don't want to bother your life group. You don't want to bother your friends. You're trying to handle it yourself. Can I encourage you? If we're going to overcome, we're going to do it by sticking together. And if we're going to overcome by sticking together, then we need to be a people who are honest with one another. We need to be honest and vulnerable. The second thing, uh, sorry, uh, Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The second thing we need to do as well as being honest with one another, we need to be protective of one another. Verse 13 says this, this is Nehemiah's response. Therefore, I stationed some of them behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posted them by families with their swords, spears and bows. In other words, what he does in response to these people being honest about their vulnerability, he looks at the low points of the wall, the exposed parts of the wall, and he puts protection in the place of those people that are vulnerable and exposed. Notice, unlike his enemies, he doesn't ridicule them. He doesn't say that they are pathetic and weak and vulnerable or anything like that. No, he just accepts the fact that from time to time, people are going to be at the exposed part of the wall. They're going to be exposed, they're going to be vulnerable, and they need protection. So he puts protection in place. And if we're going to overcome by sticking together, we need to be a protective people. I think this is a wonderful picture of the church and it's a wonderful picture of spiritual warfare and people in the church interceding, praying protection over those that are vulnerable. You know, Dave Smith has said for many years, our senior leader, that he so appreciates the prayer army and all the work and prayer that goes on here, interceding for him and Karen and the leadership, that they know that they are under constant protection. And if I may just share uh, personally for a moment, some of you may know, but my my family and I have been going through something very difficult over the past uh, few months. And it's been wonderful for us to know that actually people have got us in mind in their thoughts and in their prayers, that people are, are out there protecting us, both with practicalities, both in prayers. If you're at that exposed point, be honest about it, that other people might be protective about it. If you're one of those people that you know about somebody who is vulnerable at the moment, then let's, um, let's cover those people in prayer. Let's do all we can to help them. Let's stand in the gap and intercede for those people. Let's be a people who are both honest and a people who are protective. But thirdly, if we are going to overcome by uh, sticking together, we need to be a people who are encouraging of one another. Verse 14 says this, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. 
In other words here, he doesn't just leave the vulnerable vulnerable. No, he encourages them. He is stirring up courage amongst them. That's exactly what encourage actually means. That's the actual etymology of the word. Encourage, to stir up courage in somebody else. Reminding them that they have a God who loves them on their side who will fight for them. Remind them they're fighting for him and they're fighting for their families. Can I say, whenever I'm trying to achieve a purpose of God, perhaps something I'm trying to do in my daily work, perhaps something I'm trying to do for church, perhaps something in my leadership as a, in the past a life group leader or as a group pastor or perhaps some special thing I've been given to lead. I have found that when I have people around me for whatever reason who feel negative and just want to uh, list all the reasons that we shouldn't be trying to do what we're trying to do and why we might not achieve the purpose we're setting out to achieve, I just find that totally deflating. And you know what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Many times they're going to be right. We probably won't achieve it if that's people's attitude. On the other hand, when I have people around me, as so many people are at Kingsgate, people are encouraging, people are positive, I find that energising. And I so often find that actually leads you to overcome any of the negativity, any of the opposition, and helps you to achieve those purposes. So if we're going to overcome by sticking together, let's be a people who are honest with each other. Let's be a people who are protective of one another. Let's be a people who are encouraging of one another. And we will overcome by sticking together. And thirdly, and finally, if we are going to overcome and achieve God's purposes in our lives, I want to encourage us, number three, to overcome by steadfast commitment to the cause. You know, one of the biggest enemies of us achieving God's purposes in our lives is distraction. Hearing those voices, either of negative people or of other things that tempt us, or perhaps the voice of the enemy trying to distract us from what we're actually trying to achieve from distracting us from our purposes of God in God and I believe we see this when we get into chapter six it's like the enemies of Nehemiah who've now grown in number uh, they've tried the belittling and the criticism and so on now they tried to distract they tried to scheme Nehemiah and it says this in Nehemiah verse uh, chapter six and verse two come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono But he's wise to it, says, but they were scheming to harm me. In other words, he knows what they're actually trying to do. They're not inviting him out for coffee here. They're trying to distract him. They're trying to take him away. They're actually trying to cause him harm and take him away from God's good purposes here. It goes on in verse three and four. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I love that. He doesn't even go himself. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. And we see the fruit of this approach from Nehemiah, refusing to be distracted, a steadfast commitment to the cause. We see it in verse 15 when we read this. So the war was completed on the 24th of Elul uh, in 52 days. In other words, he did not let the distractions to get him and through a steadfast commitment to the cause, He fulfilled his project. He fulfilled his purposes in the Lord. And the wall was built. There's a story of uh, Yogi Berra, not the cartoon character, the bear, but rather the New York Yankees catcher. Uh, You may not be a baseball fan. You know, it's an American sport. I understand that. But uh, the catcher is the equivalent of the wicketkeeper in cricket or the backstop in rounders. You know, the one with all the gear on that you see in the movies that stands behind the batter. And Yogi Berra was one day trying to do what he often did, which was trying to put off the person who stepped up to the plate. That's where that expression comes from. The batter coming in to try and hit the ball. 
And on this particular day, the opposition, this guy, was a guy called uh, Hank Aaron. And Hank Aaron stepped up to the plate, stepped up to the bat, and Yogi Berra tried to put him off. He said, hey, Hank, you're not holding your bat right. Uh, you're supposed to hold it so you can see the trademark on the bat. You ought to be able to read the trademark. Well, Hank completely ignored him. Steadfast commitment to the cause. Refused to be distracted. And what happened next? Well, the pitcher pitched the ball. Hank drew back his bat and he smacked it as hard as he could. And he smashed it out of the park. That's where that expression comes from. And he ran round from base to base as he came to complete his home run. He went past Yogi Berra and he pointed to him as he came home to score a home run for his team. And he said to him, I didn't come up here to read. <laughs> In other words, he was saying to him, I'm not here to read what's on the bat. I'm not here to be distracted. I have one cause, one purpose alone as I step up to the plate and it's to hit that ball out in the park, to hit it as hard as I possibly can. And I'm not going to let anything else distract me. A steadfast commitment to the cause. And this is what Nehemiah shows as well. He refuses to be distracted. He knows that those voices distracting him are not on his team. And I want to encourage you the same. If you've got people coming to you trying to put you off, if you're hearing voices or there are distractions trying to take you away from your purpose in God, ignore them. Remember, you have a God who loves you. You have teammates all around who love you and are for you. And that voice you're hearing trying to distract you from God's purposes is a voice of somebody who is not on your team. Ignore them. Keep a steadfast commitment to the cause. And when you step up to the plate, you can hit that ball as hard as you can and score points for your team and for your God. You know, some of you, it might be like Nehemiah in the story then. Did you notice that? It says they just kept coming up to him. They kept coming up to try and distract him, to try and take him away from his project. And it might be that it's like that for you. You're trying to fulfil your purposes. Perhaps it's like I said at the beginning, there's been a tragedy in your family and you're trying to rebuild your life. But it just seems like things keep coming at you, trying to distract you, trying to take you away from overcoming, uh, feeling joy again and being able to live in God's purpose again. I want to encourage you to ignore those distractions, to keep a steadfast commitment to the cause. So we can overcome by seeking the Lord's help, by sticking together and by a steadfast commitment to the cause. Now, it might be that while I've been talking about this, you're not sure of your purpose in God. Perhaps you've never committed your life to Jesus. Well, I want to give you an opportunity right now to come to know Jesus for the first time, to know God as a heavenly father, to get new purposes in him and to have him help you overcome when trouble comes in your life. If that is you, I'm going to pray a prayer right now and I want you to echo this prayer in your heart. Lord, I turn away from a life led without you. I believe in you. Forgive me for anything that was not of you, for anything that I've done wrong. Come into my life, fill me with your spirit, give me a new purpose in you and help me to overcome. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you should be able to see a link on the screen. Now, if you follow where that link goes, I would love you to do that and you can find out more about Jesus, next steps to take and we'll be able to help you to make those next steps. But you're never going to regret that decision that you've made today. You know, for the rest of us, if you're in that camp where you're facing opposition, it just feels like it's coming and coming and like it just will not relent. I want to encourage you as a final word here to seek the Lord for help, to stick together, be honest uh, with other people, share what you're going through and to stick 
to, uh, sorry, have a steadfast commitment to the cause, to stick to God's goals and stay with him. I want to remind you that you have a God who loves you. You have a whole church family around you who love you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Have that steadfast commitment to the cause. And we're going to finish by singing this particular uh, song, or rather just letting it wash over you. It's a beautiful song. You are loved, reminding us that we can keep going, we can press on, because we have a God and a church family that loves us, that we shouldn't give up, that we'll overcome the opposition, that we'll fill our, fulfill our purposes. We'll have those rewards, we'll have that joy, which will be all the sweeter, and God will have all the glory. Thank you for listening. I miss you. I love you. Thank you.